Hey, this is Emily, and I'm a senior at App State. Thank you for listening to the RUF at App State podcast. To find out more about RUF, please visit www.appstate.ruf.org. If you don't know me, my name is Chris, and I'm the campus minister here. And that means that it's my job to be your pastor to the degree that you want that. And it's really, really good to see you guys. Um, It's been a long uh, summer, and it's really, really sweet to see you. A special welcome to you tonight, um, if you're new. I know some of you guys are freshmen. Let's hear for freshmen. We love freshmen like nobody else loves freshmen, okay? Don't let anybody else tell you that they love freshmen more than we do because they're lying. Um, but you might just be uh, someone that's checking us out for the first time and you, or you've been gone for a while. And it's really good to see you guys. Um, we want RUF to be, and we're going to talk about this some tonight, wherever you're coming from. I know some of you guys are coming from a very um, sort of Christian or religious backgrounds. You're like your youth group all-star. You're really involved. And some of you guys are like, why am I even here? And uh, I want you to know that this is a place for you wherever you are, and that you're welcome here, and that no one's going to be pressuring you to do anything but process, okay? Um, what we do on Wednesday nights typically is we sing songs, and thanks again to the music team that did a great job. Um, this kind of feels like an episode of Oprah's Favorite Things right now, like, and how about the refrigerator? Woo, refrigerator. Um, uh, we, we get together, we sing, we see one another, we catch up, we have some time together, but we always come together around God's word and we open it and we have a, uh, a message from the Bible that we do that every week. We do that in our small groups and our community groups as well, and I do that one-on-one with you if you want to get together, but this is sort of our big tent night where we open the Bible together, and what I want to do this semester is look at this very old um, belief statement called the Apostles' Creed. Some of you guys are very familiar with that. You could recite the Apostles' Creed if I asked you to. Some of you guys, again, don't know what that is. Um, But the Apostles' Creed is a summary of sort of basic Christianity. And I'm going to tell you why the Apostles' Creed Creed is great. Number one, it's great because it's really old. And Christians from, since almost the very beginning of the Christian faith, have been reciting this creed and saying this creed to one another and saying, I believe these things. But... You guys come from a lot of different backgrounds. The Apostles' Creed is sort of owned by every Christian church as being the centerpiece of what we believe. So whether you're Catholic or Orthodox or Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or Lutheran or Episcopalian or non-denominational denomination or um, <laughs> any, any of those things, uh, th- that church holds to the Apostles' Creed as the most basic, like the, the core of what we believe. Um, and what I want to do is I want to walk through that, and each week we're going to pick up a, a section of scripture that explains what we're saying when we say, I believe this thing. Okay, so here's why you should care about the Apostles' Creed if you're not a Christian, and here's why you should come back. Um, my wife is really into grass-fed beef, um, and, uh, and my daughter who's here, so watch the, watch the language, hey Georgia, it's really sweet, this is her first time at RUF, so... Uh, and she is adorable. Um, but my, my wife's really into grass-fed beef. And um, there's a lot of health benefits to grass-fed beef. We can talk about this. I've become sort of a grass-fed evangelist. And, um, and I was kind of behind the curve. She was there before me. Because there's a lot of really bad things about grain-fed beef. This isn't, we're not about beef tonight, by the way. But, uh, 
There's a lot of bad things about grain-fed beef and a lot of really good health benefits to grass-fed. And my wife was into it, but I kind of just ignored it. Because I knew if I, like, started to study it, that, like, I would have to do something in response to it. And if you come tonight and you kind of reject the Christian thing, reject the Jesus thing, or you think you might do that, what I don't want you to do is to sort of reject the Christian faith and reject Jesus. Because if you studied it, you're afraid that it might, like... You might have to do something in response. Um, if you're not a Christian, I want you to come with us every week. We're going to go through this. The, the worst case scenario is at the end of the semester, you really understand the thing that you're rejecting. Okay? Is that fair? Like, can, can we do that? Um, you're free. This is a safe place for you to not believe. Okay? I don't think that we necessarily say that enough in the church. But please come. Don't just reject Jesus out of hand um, because you don't want to deal with it. Deal with it. And then if the time comes, reject him then. But if you're a Christian, you're like, okay, why, why should I believe this? Uh, or why should I come? Um, if you've been here for a while, by a while I mean like longer than a month, you'll realize that college is a very wonderful and beautiful place, and it's also a very challenging place. Um, there are going to be a lot of really well-intentioned, nice, wonderful people that think it's really weird that you're a Christian and don't really know how you get there. Like, you seem normal, and you believe in the resurrection from the dead, okay? And they sort of like take a little bit of a step back. Um, it can be a tough place, and I want you to, to have a safe place where you can ask these questions and really learn about what it is that you say that you believe. Whether you're a Christian or not, I hope that you'll be challenged and that something maybe will become new for you. So we're going to do the Apostles' Creed, but the Apostles' Creed is a belief statement. And it starts with the, with the words, I believe. Like the, in Latin, it's credo, where we get creed from, I believe. And before we talk about these things that we say Christians believe, what does it, what does it even mean to believe in something? Um, I, I'm not sure there's anything that's more misunderstood than the idea of having faith, believing in something. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to... Um, we're going to look at what it means to believe, and we're going to be in, in the Gospel of Mark. So... Uh, if you have a Bible, um, you can turn there. You, there's, it's on your sheet if you don't have a Bible. But you turn to the New Testament, which is sort of the last third of your Bible. And then it's the second book. It goes Matthew and then Mark. <clears throat> We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. So you have your sheet. It's there written before you. Um, we stopped shine, putting on the strings that shine straight in my eyes the whole time. And so I get kind of over that. Um, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to read from Mark chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 14. Um, we open this, this book every week, okay? And like you might think that this is like the most ridiculous thing ever, but we open this and talk about it every week because we believe that this is God's word, um, unequivocally. So uh, let's listen then to God's word in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. And when they came, uh, Jesus is walking with these three other disciples. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, this is Jesus, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, 
How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Father, uh, this is your word. Whether we like it or not, uh, whether we believe it or not, it is your word. And it's sufficient. Uh, We read it, we've heard it, and Lord, you, by your spirit, uh, are able to change us by it, to to draw us to yourself, to change our hearts. Um, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we ask, because you're full of grace, would you be with us now as we consider it together, um, that we would see Jesus and be drawn to him. We pray in his name. Amen. Um, So... What does, it, what does it mean to believe? That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, some think that believing is primarily something that you would do with your mind. You know, you, you, you believe the right set of propositional truths and you hold you say, yeah, I believe that there is a God and, you know, Jesus and all these things. And that's what believing means. Is it, is, is it that? Is it something you do with the mind? Um, is it something that you do with your emotions and your dreams? Is it this kind of thing where... To have faith, you work yourself up into this uh, emotional state where, like, you put aside all of, the, all of the things that you know to be true, and you just step out, and you feel that it's true. Like, some, some of you, your, your professor will ask you and say, uh, why could you believe that? And you'll, your default answer will be, I, I don't know, I just feel like I believe it. Uh, is it. Is it something that you do with your emotions? And some of you guys are going, like, no, 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 that's all wrong, right? Because believing... It's something that you do with your life, right? You commit your life to it and your will, and it's your lifestyle. It changes how you live. Um, what, what is it? What does it mean to believe? Uh, what I want to do quickly is look at this passage. I want to look at, okay, the scene here is Jesus sort of in the middle of all these different groups of people. And what I want to do is look at the groups of people and how they all refuse to believe in Jesus in some way. And then I want us to stop and I want us to look at Jesus. So, all these people around Jesus, they're they refusing to believe in some way. There's these people called the scribes. And uh, the scribes were sort of your intellectual elite of the day. Um, they, they were the ones that you went to if you wanted a contract done. And they were experts, legal uh, experts. And they're not buying Jesus on sort of intellectual grounds. Um, in a sense, they're too smart for Jesus. They know 
that Jesus can't be right when he says that he's God or when he says that he can forgive sins. They know this sort of mentally and intellectually. And they're here. They're looking for Jesus. They don't see Jesus because he's off on this mountain. And so they get into this argument with the disciples because the disciples had tried to cast this demon out of this boy and they couldn't do it. And so you, you can imagine the scribes. They oppose Jesus. They're sort of against everything that Jesus is all about. And so while he's not there, they're sort of making fun of his buddies. Like, oh, good job casting out that, that demon. That was, that was awesome. You should do that again. Uh, that was really impressive when you did that. You can just imagine these guys. They're, they're your, your typical skeptical person. Um, again, a welcome, warm place for you if you're a skeptical person. Um, but they're too smart for Jesus. Jesus didn't fit their categories of who God must be or what God must be doing. Um, but the real irony here about the scribes is that they're sort of very religious people. Like when you heard like they're skeptics and they're rejecting Jesus intellectually, you're like, oh, well, they're, you know, they're, they're not religious people. They're, they're almost the most religious. They're related and associated with a group called the Pharisees. And they're very, very religious people. And they were the Bible people. Okay, I know sometimes on campus, the RUF sort of um, reputation is like the Bible theology okay, group. Okay, which is in some ways fair. In some ways it makes me happy. In some ways it makes me lose sleep. Um, but anyway, uh, they were the guys that were really, really serious about the Bible. And they were really serious about God. Um, but for all their supposed love of God and love of the scriptures and love of the law, they're standing right next to Jesus. And they refuse to believe in him. Um, I don't know that we need to make the comparisons, the obvious comparisons, that the most religious among us can be so sure that we're right about whatever issue it is that we can miss Jesus. The scribes refuse to believe in Jesus intellectually, but you need to believe in Jesus intellectually. He's, he's, he's calling us to that, but believing in Jesus is not just assenting to a set of facts that, yeah, there's God and yeah, I, I kind of buy that, right? Um, faith is something more than that. It's interesting. There's a demon in this passage, which may have freaked some of you out. And if it freaks you out, I love you. And I want to get together and talk because it should freak us out. Um, this demon intellectually believes in Jesus. Uh, James, who write, who's Jesus' brother, who writes a book later in the New Testament, says, yeah, yeah, like, like you believe that there's a God. Yeah, yeah, demons believe that. And it makes them shudder. So you're sort of lesser than a demon if you believe there is a God and it doesn't make you um, shudder. So that's, that's the scribes. They, they refuse to believe in Jesus because they don't have an intellectual category for him. But what about the disciples? The disciples, if you don't know, um, are Jesus' best friends. These are the people that Jesus is grooming. It's really funny if you read the New Testament and read the Gospels. That these were the people that Jesus was grooming to like do the whole church thing after he was gone. You're like, man really could have done better, um, you know, recruiting some people that wouldn't be just total morons most of the time, um, with all due respect to the saints. Um, <laughs> hope I didn't alienate any Catholic people with that, um, but, because I'm really worried about alienating people and... Um, but these are Jesus' best friends. And if anybody should be getting it, like anyone should be like on board with what Jesus is doing, it's the disciples, right? They're the ones that are getting all the attention. They spent time with Jesus. 
And he's given them authority to cast out demons. Before this, he sends them out, and they're all casting out demons, and they're like feeling awesome about themselves because they can cast out demons. And here, they can't do it. And so later on, when they're alone, like no one's listening, because they know they're probably going to get corrected, uh, they say to Jesus, why, why couldn't we cast that demon out? And, and here, Mark records Jesus saying, um, this kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. Matthew, who writes with us, adds, because of your little faith. They couldn't cast out a demon because they had little faith and little prayer. Okay, Jesus' best friends did not have the faith and the prayer that they needed. Because if they really were buying Jesus, and they were really all in with this believing in Jesus thing, it would have begun to change their life. They would be a lot more prayerful people. If you, if you have read the New Testament, Jesus is always going away. To pray. And it's like, there's really something important going on. There's a lot of people, and Jesus is like off in a cave, literally, praying by himself. And if they had really believed in Jesus, they would be more prayerful, right? Um, but they don't. Somehow, they have refused to believe in Jesus with their will, with their lifestyle, with their actions. It's failed to grip them in a way that changes them where the rubber meets the road. And maybe, maybe that's you, okay? I know some of you, and I know that's you, but some of you that I don't know, maybe this is you, where you're like, yeah, 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 I buy this stuff, the Bible, Jesus, yeah, yeah. But it's just failing in some sense to change my life. Um, I say I believe these things, and if you asked me on a census form, I would, like, check the right things. But, like, if you watched me, I'm not sure that you would really know that I was, that I was a Christian. Like, I'm functionally an atheist, right? Like, I, I say I believe these things, but it doesn't really change my life. Um, If that's you, if you sort of relate with that, um, you, like the disciples, refuse to believe in Jesus with your will, with your lifestyle, with your, with your, um, the thing that that, that motivates you to change and to pray. Um, So this, the scribes, they refuse to believe with their minds. The disciples refuse to believe with their will. But the father, the father is is really awesome um, in this, in this story. He's got this baby boy, right? And um, I was going to say, if any of you have kids, but of course, none of you do, hopefully. Um, well, you may, and that would be great, too. Um, uh, um, he has this baby boy, and his baby boy has, has this demon. And the demon's making him have seizures, right? And worse than that, the demon's making him have seizures and be deaf and be mute, okay? So it's pretty bad, um, and then on top of that, when he has these seizures, the demon wants to throw him into fire, like literally wants to kill him, like wants to throw him into water. And he comes to Jesus, because he's desperate. I mean, like if there was just a rant, like the guys that come out on campus and preach, and you're like, I'm dying, you'd have to be pretty desperate to like go out to one of those guys and be like, dude, can you heal me? Like, can you do something for me? And this guy's obviously pretty desperate. I mean, Jesus is this wandering teacher, he's not respectable in that sense. Um, but he comes to Jesus, and he sort of, he takes that first step, but then he says, this is what he says um, in verse 22. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. He comes to Jesus, and he's like, I kind of want to put one foot in emotionally, but um, if you can, like, it's almost like, have you ever like, gotten your hopes up and it got dashed, right? Like, I know some of you have been, have been hurt, um, 
But all of us have had, like, gotten our hopes up about something and it, it just got, our, 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 the rug got pulled out from under us. And uh, if that's happened to you, if that happens to you enough, the Frozen reference for my daughter, you're like Elsa, right? Um, you become this conceal it, you know, don't feel it. Um, you want to keep people emotionally at a bit of a distance. And if this happens to you enough and you're hurt enough, you decide, do you want to keep God at a distance? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in this Christian thing. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to RUF. I'm going to read my Bible or whatever. But I'm sort of emotionally not going to get invested uh, in what Jesus is doing because I'm afraid that he's over-promising and going to under-deliver. Um, and and, and you, you conceal it and, uh, and you don't feel it. And this, this father is, in a sense, coming to Jesus and going, if you can... Doing like he doesn't want to emotionally invest because he might be let down, obviously, because his son um, is so dear to him. Um, he refuses to believe with his, his emotions, but faith in Jesus is more than an emotional state, it's not just an emotional state that you work yourself up into. So, all the people surrounding Jesus, okay, we're setting the scene. All these people around Jesus, some of them are very religious, some of them are not. Um, yet they all are refusing to believe in Jesus. And I hope that as we walk through that, in some sense, you've felt some relation to one of those groups. Because the reality is that from everyone in the front of this room with an REV in front of their name, all the way to the back, and the person that just hung around from the nerd club meeting that was in here before, um, that's a real club that was in here before, nerd club. Um, they're like really growing. Yeah, that was exciting. Because it wasn't the equestrian club. They weren't as cool. The nerd clubs were cooler. Um, uh, but whether you wandered into this room and, and you're like, what is going on? I don't buy any of this. Or whether you're like this sold-out youth group kid, you have a bent in your heart toward unbelief. And there is some way, whether it's with your mind, with your emotions, with your will, um, with your time, that you are refusing to believe in Jesus. We're all unbelievers, okay? So as we come to the statement, we go, I believe. This is where I want to start with you. And I want you to know that this is a place where you can be an unbeliever. And you can really struggle to believe. Um, because just saying, I struggle to believe, isn't a, 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 an admission of weakness. It's an admission of reality. That we all struggle. Jesus' best friends struggled to believe in him. No matter how religious you are. Um, you're bent towards unbelief. So now that that has been settled, and we can all take a sigh and go, okay. I mean, I, mean, I hope there's someone in here that was like, I was really thinking like if I had a doubt that it was going to be over, and hopefully that's a little bit of a balm to your soul. But this is what I want to do quickly. I just I, I want to look at Jesus. I want you to imagine this scene of these people around Jesus. Jesus created the universe. That's what he said. Um, and a refusal to believe in him is not just a rejection of a religion. It's a rejection of him as Lord, as a person. And he's, he's surrounded by all of these unbelieving people. And yet he stands there in their midst. And what does he do? He has mercy. He has mercy on this child that is helpless. He has mercy on this father that is afraid. He has mercy on his disciples who are just kind of bumbling 
even has mercy on these scribes that need to be corrected. He's standing there full of mercy. Because Jesus in Matthew 22, when someone says, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Um, and there's only one person in this story. There's only one person with us tonight by the Holy Spirit that has ever believed in God to the sense that he loved God with his heart and his soul and his, his mind and his strength and his life, and it's Jesus Christ. He's the only person ever to have believed in God perfectly. Jesus would say things like, my, I don't need food. My food is to do the will of my Father. Or, yeah, I created everything. I called everything into existence, but I can't do anything without the Father And isn't it just amazing how different he is than us? How much more beautiful and lovely and and amazing and strange he is um, than us. He's perfect and he's extending mercy. And the father in the story is really on to something. If you sit down with me and we're talking, there's a really good chance that we'll open Mark 9. And we'll talk about this because... He comes to Jesus, and Jesus goes, you know what? All things are possible for one who believes. And he goes, I believe. Help my unbelief. There is never a more honest statement than that. I want to believe. Please help my unbelief. Now, some of you fancy yourselves Christians, um, and that's great. Um, But you think that Jesus is expecting you, like his expectations, are for you to be fully sold out and committed all the time. And that the moment you have a doubt, you freak out because you're like, oh, I'm backsliding. Uh, I need to do more. I need to read my Bible more. And that would be great, you know. Uh, but you, you expect that God is, that you're supposed to be, you know, fitter and happier and more productive every day of your life with Jesus or else God is disappointed in you. You, ex- you think God expects you to have this thing together. There is no one um, that expects you to have it all together less than Jesus. His expectations are quite different. He expects you to be mixed. He expects you to have competing allegiances in your heart. Um, he expects you to be pretty wishy-washy. He expects that, and he believed perfectly for you. So that you could come to him and you could stop worrying about how well you're believing and just look at Jesus and go, Lord, help my unbelief. He's calling you tonight, if that's you. We want RUF, we said we want RUF to be a, a rest stop for weary Christians. If you're on that treadmill, Jesus is calling you. He's saying, come unto me and rest. Um, but if you're not a Christian um, and you're, you're really into your unbelief and you're focused on that. Whereas the Christian person is focused on how well they're believing, you're focused on how well you're not believing. And are you dismissing Jesus without considering him? The problem here is everybody in the story is looking at each other, looking at themselves, and nobody's looking at Jesus who stands with his arms open. I know you have doubts. Okay, I have doubts too. Um, are you afraid to doubt your doubts? Um, 
had a camp counselor. Okay, I went to like a Christian camp one time in high school, and um, y'all all have much better Christian camp experiences than I did. Um, I went to this weird thing. Anyway, um, we can talk about it later. But um, I wasn't a Christian, and I think I was trying to be, because like I've had made some friends that were Christians, and I was like, this would be cool. They seemed like they're happy. Um, so I went to this camp, and they're like just drilling the whole time, like how well you're, like, you're not, you know, you're not proving it, like you're not, you know. And they didn't come in like with that sort of like rest in Jesus thing, and um, which is important. And um, so I went to this counselor one night, and I was really upset, and I was I was in a lot of tears, and I said like he was like thirty, which is old, and uh, <laughs> um, and I was like what do you do? Like, do you ever like have doubts? And you know, he told me, he said, yeah, I do. But you know what I say to myself? I say, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe. And I get to a point where I just feel better. And, um, that is terrible advice. Um, the fact that you're laughing makes me feel really good about where you are. Um, You have probably spent a substantial amount of time agonizing over whether you believe one way or the other. Okay? Believing is like a windshield. It's meant to be seen through to the thing in front of you. If you focus on the windshield, you're going to crash. What's on the other side of that windshield is Jesus. And what I'm asking you to do is, for a moment, just stop obsessing over whether you're believing well enough or whether you're unbelieving well enough to put all of your sort of doubts away uh, and and your sort of nagging suspicion that Jesus might actually be there and might have something to say about your life. I want you to put that worry and agonizing thoughts about your belief away for a moment and look at Jesus. Jesus. And that's what I want to do with you this semester. That's my, that's my pitch for you to come back. Um, I love to listen to musicians that struggle to believe. Okay, Chris Steely from Nickel Creek is one of those that I love. And um, they have a great song. I'm sure you probably know it because this is a Nickel Creek hotbed. And um, <laughs> called Doubting Thomas. And uh, this, is, this is what he says. Can I be used to help others find truth when I'm scared I'll find proof that it's a lie? Can I be led down a trail dropping breadcrumbs to prove I'm not ready to die? I'm a doubting Thomas. I can't keep my promises because I don't know what's safe. Oh, me of little faith. If there is a germ in your heart that resonates with that, no matter where you say you are right now, will you come back? And consider Jesus with us. I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your grace. Jesus, thank you that you have believed perfectly. Turn our eyes upon you, Lord Jesus, that we would look full in your wonderful face. And Lord, let the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Would you do that for us? Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.